Resilient Disciples podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. Last week on this podcast, Matt Markins talked about how important it is to start re-engaging with families in your community now, even if your formal season of children's ministry isn't coming back for a while because of the coronavirus. So this week, I want to share with you an important reminder that as you go about that work of re-engaging families, please don't forget about the most vulnerable members of your community. Sean Thornton is the senior pastor at Calvary Community Church in California. He has a heart for special needs ministry that is inspiring, and I hope that it encourages you to make sure that you are considering how you reach all families in your community with the gospel. We start the conversation with talking about how he developed that heart and how his passion as a senior pastor impacts the rest of his church. Thank you for listening. Here is Sean Thornton on the Resilient Disciples podcast. You clearly have a heart for this. You clearly have a passion for not overlooking people. And you've taken the time to be with families in those moments where now, you know, you'd have to be working so far against what God is doing, doing you to not care for that world well. Exactly. I would be, I would, yeah. If I wasn't doing some of that, that would be an indication I'm about to fall from ministry for some reason. Yeah. Either arrogance, pride, lust, whatever it is. Uh, greed, but because that's the heartbeat of how God wired me. Yeah, my I have a memoir uh, called All But Normal Life on Victory Road. And it tells the story of my childhood, growing with a mother with traumatic brain injury, which left her with special needs. Okay, and that's my emphasis on special needs comes from my childhood as well. But I wanted when I was writing the book memoir to tell. It's really a mem. You know, I learned while I was writing it that a biography you, or an autobiography you tell your story. A memoir you tell your story, but through a lens. So okay. it's my story through the lens of my mother's traumatic brain injury. Okay. And I wanted to title the book, um, How God Shapes a Pastor's Heart. But that it didn't have as broad a, you know, that would put me in a niche of pastors would read it. You know, Tyndale, who published it, told me, you know, that would limit it, which I fully agree with today. And I'm, that's why it was good to have editors and publishers. <laughs> they made it clear. They didn't change my story. They just made yeah. it be clearer and uh help people at a broader point. But it, even my focus on special needs comes from childhood, mm. uh, from dealing with a mother who was institutionalized. And, and uh, that's part of what I'd share about the special yeah. needs focus uh, would be, a, that'd be a big part of it. By the way, hearing your story is interesting. I just am about to complete this very long autobiography, not autobiography, a biography of um, Walt Disney. Oh, wow. And one of the <laughs> factors that shaped his thinking toward children and toward um, entertaining children. He had a tough childhood. Yeah. So in a way, for him, all the Disney stuff, the movies, the theme park that you know he created and died you know, 10 years later after, or 15 years after Disneyland opened and was never saw Disney World open, um, in a way that was a secular approach at ministry for him, back to children, when you read his childhood. And he particularly had a heart for children of disability, people of disability, because he had an uncle who was a high-functioning man yeah. who had a routine. He'd jump on a train, go to the next town, uh, help a, help at a farm for two hours in the morning, hop on the train, come back. He'd sit, you know, he'd come and sit at the table at 6 o'clock, even if people weren't, the rest of the family didn't come. <laughs> you know, and they might start at dinner at 6.20. And, yeah. But it was just, I think, I think it's Uncle Raymond. And even later in the biography, 
quotes from him will be, you know, someone would say, Walt, why did you put that scene in Pinocchio? And he said, because Pinocchio reminds me of my Uncle Raymond. I think it's Raymond, but, but it's interesting that he put the scene in to show the brokenness of Pinocchio, but to show his value. Amen. And it was shaped by his uncle. And yeah. You're talking about an uncle. Yeah. No. Just, you're, I just read that and it was like, wow, you're... you're, ma- you're ma- yeah, you're, no, it's absolutely... It sounds just like his uncle. He t- he tell, The biographer tells a story where Uncle What's-His-Name would come to town. Um, he, they lived in two town, two ends of like Missouri or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the, the uncle would take the train to come see them for two or three days. And it was always a blessing to Disney when he came because his father and others were compli- other adults were complicated and harsh. Yep. But Uncle Raymond was always the same. He was always sweet, and you were the most important thing in his life when he was with you, and that shaped Disney. And I think that there is a like that is that is the power that God has given people like that. That mm-hmm. there is a there's a simplicity. There's a there's a pace even where the pace that um, my uncle has is radically different than the pace that my father has. And I have a great relationship with my dad. It's right? a it's little not... window into how maybe we should be more like that, right? <laughs> Amen. I really feel like that's, that is, there is a model from, with that population on simplicity and simplicity sweetness. and sweetness. Yeah. Amen. So how do you begin to communicate your heart and I, I would argue your expertise from your experience um, with those who haven't necessarily have who don't necessarily have that heart or that expertise. No one's saying, Oh, we shouldn't talk to them. Right. 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 But it's, there's a, there becomes a, how do I tackle this on top of the other things that I'm tackling? Cause this seems complicated or this seems like we have to be really overly strategic about it. And then they wind up never actually doing the work. Yeah. Well, a matter of fact, when we, so about, uh, we're, we're one exit away from ministry. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Johnny and friends. Okay. Erickson Tata has been a quadriplegic for over 50 years and it's the largest special needs ministry in the world. And Johnny has been an evangelical leader. Presidents Reagan and Bush put her on the ADA, you know, persons with disability uh, update. She was a part of that. She told her story at Billy Graham Crusades in the late 70s and through the 80s. So she's been a hero in evangelicalism. Uh, she's turned 70 last fall. So some of the younger evangelicals don't know her as well, but their ministry is one exit away. And the, the president of the organization called me, kind of the, Matt Markins you know, from Moana <laughs> called me and said, Hey, we would love to, we're putting out things for local churches to do special needs ministry. But, you know, some of us have children with special needs and all that here in the office. We go to church and ministries. We'd like to have a place where we're not, we just want to make it a lab, but where we can partner with you and you can help us learn the local churches. So we, we partnered with them about eight, nine years ago. They even funded. Uh, for the first year, a part-time disability director, ministry oh, director. Good. And it was really nice it, the way it worked. But when we relaunched, we put out a card in the church that said um, to write down uh, if you'd like to volunteer in our new relaunched, refocused special needs ministry, or if you have a child or someone in your family with disability, write their name down. We got like 100 cards in for I'd like to volunteer. We got two with people with special needs on. And we already knew of like 50. Right? Interesting. And so I asked, you know, Johnny and friends, what do you think you attribute this to? And they said, we know what it is. It's what you just said. People will lay out this grandiose plan, strategy and philosophy, where a school will do it, a church will do it, a local YMCA, whoever, you know, will do it. They have a heart, they see a need in their community. They cast a vision to do a special needs ministry or a special needs program. And what happens is once they get in, 
and they realize, you know, there's some hard stuff. There's a kid who's going to, you know, ram his head into your face when he's talking to you all of a sudden out of control. He's got a helmet on, so it doesn't hurt him. But man, your nose is hurting for a few days. You know, there's complexity here. Yeah, Wheelchairs that are complex, uh, breathing machines that are complex. And so what they said is these groups, these families will jump into these things that are offered at schools and community groups and churches. And they're so excited. It's exactly what they've been looking for. But six months later, 18 months later, it's closed down because it was too complicated, too much. So we determined we're not just going to make this something that's scalable, something we can grow, but sustainable. Yeah. And so we focused that on doing that for because we learned even through that initial card. And I think part of what you just said a moment ago is very important to the question you just asked me, which I forget what it is, but I think I'm answering it. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, is that... You have to take every family in, every child, every individual in, and know that they have their own, this autistic child and the child sitting next to them may even be at the same third grade reading level and they're 15. There's still a different story. They Amen. still have their own unique personality and even some idiosyncrasies. So we, we, we do a full on you know buddy system so the buddy learns the person. And sometimes when those folks mainline into our ministries, the buddy is just there helping others understand the sure. context of the child. That makes sense. Whether it's the other children. And so they may not even be sitting right with them. They sit in the back of the room, but they're there providing that context. When we try to approach special needs with a cookie cutter approach or a program that says it's broad enough to fit everybody in it, it then doesn't minister to the individual. So while we've, we've tried to create a culture that is each child in every family. So at our special needs answer, 130 kids there. One of the concerns, our, our pastor, Gina Spivey, she's pastor of special needs at Calvary. One of her concerns was we had 20% more, we had 20% of the 130 children with disability coming to our dance. We did a couple of weeks ago called Joy Unleashed. 100, out of 130 of them, 20% of them had never come to anything at Calvary before. Hmm. And she wrote a text to our senior leadership team, which she's a part of, that said, um, pray for us. This is great. that We have 20% that are running at Calvary. These families have never been here. But that means we don't know the child's oh, personalized, contextualized need. And we and it wasn't like they could be disruptive to the dance. We could have problems. She said, we don't know how best to make them fit and get the best experience out of it. So pray that we can quickly assess these children and how best to make them fit. I loved her spirit. What a beautiful prayer. I, yeah. I love that. And, and it, I mean, I, when I got emotional looking at that text where she didn't say we could have a lot of problems. We could, she didn't turn it into, she saw it as huge opportunity, but that to seize the opportunity, we had to be able to evaluate and put the right buddy with them, the right, date the high yep. schoolers were the dates from our high school ministry so i think that the idea of being strategic is incredibly important understanding that that community families affected by disability are weary and fatigued of people around them in the community and churches wherever saying we're going to help you and your child we love you come into our program and then the child who maybe has a hard time mentally accepting the room because yep. of their idiosyncrasies whatever, they finally settle in and the parents are like, yes, this is a great ministry. And then 
they get a letter that says, or an email that says, oh, by the way, we've loved working with you. It's a good 18 months. Hope we helped you in those 18 months. Yep. But we're going to have to shut down the program. Yep. And that causes these folks to be very suspicious or very cautious when new opportunities come. And that, that to me is sad that the whole culture of special needs families of people affected by disability has this this caution mm-hmm. to not be burned again yeah and we committed ourselves to not doing that that's so good well and because i feel like you even in the heart of your leader's prayer it wasn't about um you know pray because when i take all these kids out to the car i'm gonna have a chance to meet all these parents who aren't coming to the church yet it was about that church it was about the individual and i think it Again. wasn't about a big win for us as a church. So we could <laughs> mark off another, we've been successful in ministry. Yeah. It was about the individual. And I think that's, again, it's a model on caring for that population is is a model of how we should all be living our life because right. Jesus approached the individual. Jesus never treated anybody like a monolithic group. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Let's talk about moms. We know the impact a mom can make in her home, community, and the kingdom of God. We know that when a mom encounters Jesus, it's exponential discipleship because her family does as well. And for nearly 50 years, Mops International has used the common experience of motherhood to create opportunities for women and their families to encounter Jesus. They partner with churches and organizations like Awana worldwide to equip and encourage moms in more than 70 countries. Through their ministry, they remind women that they're not alone, that motherhood is significant, and that Jesus calls them beloved. In addition, they give them the tools they need so that moms can thrive and feel equipped to disciple the next generation in Christ's name. As Mops approaches a half century of impact, they recognize that shifting cultural norms and a global pandemic are creating a pivotal moment of opportunity. Moms are more isolated and stressed than ever before. We all know that moms need community now more than ever. Whether you're a mom or you just know a mom, I want you to join Mops. I want you to support the moms in your community. By serving or donating, you are offering hope and introducing moms to Jesus. Visit mops.org to learn more. We look at the healing Jesus did I think I often say to people, if Jesus could just sit down and tell us where we're seeing his life wrong, one of them would be, we so emphasize the miraculous, we forget the person he healed. So the blind man had been blind for 40 years, his whole life. His own neighbors, when he comes back, don't recognize him. And and we we get so caught up in the man was healed which is very important and jesus is powerful can heal and and one day he's going to set all things right and make all things new and wipe away every tear and every disease every disability will be removed but jesus was drawn to those people and why did he use those people as the example for the disciples so they would be drawn to the least of these so they would be drawn to the individual not to a mass population. He didn't, when he interacted with the Samaritans, it's always in an individual level. It tells the story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, the, the 10 lepers, the one that comes back and thanks him as a Samaritan. Why is it individualized? It's an example for us in our ministries to be focused on the individuals 
their brokenness, their heartache, their pain, and to meet them in the moment. And I don't have any gift like he did of healing. I believe God heals today, but um, that's not the the bigger focus he wants us to have is that he was meeting broken people in the moment and brought them light and hope in that moment, even before the miracle occurs. Yeah. Most of them he says, do you have faith? Because they've already been touched by the fact he's acknowledging their existence, Amen. looking them in the eye. And I think that's critical to all ministry, but then special needs ministry, that's very important. Yeah. Very important. Well, my sister works with this population um, and she has this, you know, this sort of this more moment of mourning with parents in particular who are treating this as a cure where it's, you know, we're going to do these things because then it's going to, it's going to fix your behaviors. And, you know, I'm reading this thing online that says this is going to cure autism. And the moment for my sister of and I don't even know if she would articulate it this way. So when she listens to this, I apologize, Amy, but it's what I hear in her is that it's this moment of, okay, well you live in that world. Like I'm, I'm just going to love your kid right. and I'm going to, and I'm going to work with these things because it will benefit your kid to be potty trained or whatever right. it is that she's working with. But she's like, well, you're figure, you're in that mental space. I'm going to be here. Yeah. And I think what I hear from you in that is that that is what I hope I'll, I'll say it this way what I hope other people hear in that is that we already know how to do that. You may not know how to best behave with a certain type of disability or a certain type of idiosyncrasy, but you know how to love people, right? Cause you so wouldn't you be taking the time to listen to this. If a, you didn't a buddy in our system and a buddies are individuals who are trained to come alongside a child. We have on, um, uh, the big, we have what we call buddy break once a month at the church where any family in our community, no, it can be Muslim, Jewish, whatever, atheist, family affected, but with a disability, with a child with a special need, can bring their special needs children and their typical children for like four hours on a Saturday. And the we have a buddy assigned to each of them. Some get two buddies because of their complexities. Mm. And those buddies are trained, but they're not trained to be autism experts. Yeah. They're trained to be experts for Billy, for Nick, for Elsie, for the different ones we have that I think of their names and see their faces as I'm saying that, they do not have to be an autism expert. They don't have to be a Downs expert. They don't have to be, you know, there's no, it's, they have to be an expert on that child and their yeah. needs. And that speaks volumes. So what your sister doing, I, I, you know, I think she's caught it. I mean, <laughs> I just think that's so critical. My mom had a traumatic brain injury when she was 14. When she she was unconscious for three, she was in a car accident, hit her head on the dashboard, besides a couple other cuts on her body, no broken bones, nothing, hits her head on the dashboard at 14. When she wakes up three months later, Ooh. she's 15. She turns 15 in this coma-like state. When she wakes up, she has to learn to walk, talk, do everything all over again. In 1962, when that happened, they didn't have occupational therapists, they didn't have speech therapists. I mean, they probably had them, but they weren't in, you know, uh, St. Joe Hospital in Mishawaka, <laughs> Indiana, and and, and it, it wasn't common practice, the kind sure. of therapy. She had some, but it was very limited. Part of the getting her to walk again is her parents were told, take her home, she'll crawl around for a while first, and then she'll start to walk just like she did as a baby. Well, that's terrible because when you've already known to walk, you don't even know you have muscle memory there, so you have this fear of falling. So she learned to walk, but it's, it was stiff and she had balance issues because she didn't have the right kind of therapy. Oh. And that caused her physical problems. 
her, her motor skills were gone to sign her name on a permission slip would be 10 minutes to sign her name. And I'd try to get it to her early, but I'd see the bus coming and she's on, you know, her name was Beverly Thornton and she'd be on the B and I'd say, just write Bev, please. The bus is coming <laughs> down the road. They're picking up the people down there, you know, oh, but man. she had all kinds of issues. She had emotional issues. She was institutionalized. And I watched people, neighbors, relatives, some close relatives, people in our local church where we were, love her because of her sweetness and her simplicity in a lot of ways. They would draw close to her. And then when they saw the physical limitations and maybe they saw her say some things that were a little off, you know, crazy, a little crazy, if you will. <laughs> and she would have emotional, angry outbursts and then cry right away or started throwing things. They would back away. Mm. And I think when the church has a heart like Jesus, no matter if it's an adult who's had a tra traumatic brain injury, it's someone with mental illness, someone who's got addiction issues, a special needs child. We have to do what Jesus did and walk into that life and say, when I walk into this life, it didn't look complicated at first, but it got complicated. We don't pull away. Amen. We lean in. And when situations got more complicated, like they can't get the, the man doesn't can't get in the building. So his friends drop him through the roof a lot of ministries would say, what in the world did you do to our roof? <laughs> you people just ruined our house. It's supposed to rain tonight. What yeah. are you people doing? And there's none of that in the story. It's found a mark of the man being let down there at Capernaum. It's Jesus heals them, yep. eats them in the moment. And uh, so my heart for special needs kids, for people of addiction, uh, people with mental illness, comes from my own background in childhood and my mom's issues made things very complicated in my life. So that, you know, every day she's a growing solid follower of Jesus, but every day she'd call, call, call me the F mom and she'd, she'd throw things and she'd be calm for a while and all of a sudden an outburst. And, and, um, and for me, that was made my childhood very complex, but she still loved Jesus. Mm. And I still saw the trajectory of her heart aimed at Jesus. I think there are kids who are nonverbal with a special need who their trajectory is toward Jesus, even if they can't say it. Mm. And I think um, we tend to say, you've got to be completely cleaned up, whether it's sin, addiction, special need, emotional, mental problems before we can see the trajectory. And we've got to look for that, that, you know, my brother and I both are in ministry full time, only two, two of us. And I've been asked a lot, especially after my book on, on my mom seeing life, my childhood through that lens, I've been asked, why didn't you and your brother just turn your back on Christianity? Wouldn't that have been, you know, to have your mom teach in Sunday school and then to be using vulgarities with you and all this, wouldn't that have shown you hypocrisy? And I say, no, there was no hypocrisy in my home. Hmm. Um, I mean, we all have hypocrisy, yeah. <laughs> but it was no greater in my home than any other home because my mom had a brokenness because of the curse of sin and the groaning of this world that Somehow as a child, I think this is beautiful. I and my, my brother and I both were able to see that thread of Christ. Yeah. Both my mom and my dad, as he always didn't always handle the situation well, we saw them still seeking to know, love, and serve Jesus, even in the brokenness. I think that that's the approach we need to understand with all the people we serve, whatever the brokenness is. That's great. And I think just to say, you know, if you are someone who's listening to this and you don't necessarily have the heart or if this, if this already feels overburdensome, 
statistically, right. there is someone in your community who is more, who is more prepared for this than you might feel. Yeah. Who is more touched by it. Who's more affected by it that you can bring into this conversation. Who- and there are levels like we have folks who will not, you know, it's, and I get it. I mean, even though I have a heart for this and there's some great stories of how my parents even reached out in Awana, we would pick up a kid with cerebral palsy, two kids and in our little car and we'd go to Awana with them and one was in a wheelchair. And I can remember my dad would just scoop this, you know, 10 year old girl out of her chair and put her in the seat of our car and put the wheelchair in the back. And he had no idea what he was doing. His parents <laughs> just turned this child over to us. We didn't have a special needs ministry at our church. That was it, you know, yeah. and we'd cram these kids in and then we pick up a boy that uh, had braces and had trouble speaking because of his cerebral palsy. And, um, but in my background, I learned that there were people better than me at being right there, looking them in the eye and spending two hours with them in a Wana club or an hour with them in a Sunday school or in a church. So, but then there are people, I think I'm more like this where we have the heart and we can cast the vision, but I probably wouldn't be a very good buddy <laughs> because I just don't have those skills. And there is a, there is, God has given people and you would say, but your background mm. and your heart would say you'd be a good buddy. I don't think I would be, mm. but I so value it. I have a part in it. Like our dance I talked about for special needs. There are buddies there and there are people who work every week in our children's or our special needs ministry that are there. But then there are people who will volunteer for the dance to be out front, uh, just pointing people in the right direction, being a photographer, playing the music, um, being security, um, providing the snacks that they don't have to know how to deal with this person in a wheelchair who, you know, needs uh, something changed in the wheelchair for their own, you know, urinary yeah. reasons and all. They don't have to know all that. So you don't have to, there's different levels yeah. of having a heart for. Like any other ministry. Right, like any other ministry. Yeah. And, and it, it, it can be a high commitment ministry, but there are different levels mm-hmm. of skill, background, aptitude that God's given us to be able to serve. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.